0: The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. This morning's scripture is James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. Again, that's James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. Count it all joys, my brothers and sisters when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ben. Good morning. Happy New Year, everyone. It's good to see some of you in the building, and thanks for those that are joining us online as well. Um, It's good to be with you all. I hope you had a a good Christmas and holiday week. Uh, My name is Gary. I'm one of the the pastors here. We, as we dive into this new year, uh, are going to take a few weeks to kind of do a shorter uh, series. So every year, we, we tend to, as a church, work through large books of the Bible or different books of the Bible and work through section by section, reading God's word and paying attention to what He's saying. In these different books uh, of the Bible, but every January we step back for a couple weeks and just assess what God is doing in us as a community and maybe kind of what He would be guiding us into in the year to come. And so uh, this year, what we're looking at uh, over the next few weeks, the series we're looking at is just pastoral words for the new year. And uh, what we're saying in this series is as a team of pastors. Uh, that are praying about and thinking about and trying to our best to care for and lead this church family. We're asking God, God, what do you want to be speaking to us, this church family, in this particular season as we kind of end a kind of calendar year and kind of walk into a new year? Are there things you want to teach us and lead us into? And so we're going to take this week and the next two weeks after this week to just consider a few different kind of uh, themes and words that we feel like God has for us as a church family, as we walk into the new year. After that, so after the first three weeks of January, uh, before we dive back into the Sermon on the Mount, which is where we're in, in the Gospel of Matthew, we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, a couple more sermons there. Uh, We're gonna just take a bigger picture look at a major theme in the Gospel of Matthew, the sort of forest of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the theme of the Gospel of the Kingdom the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus came into this earth, he became a human, and he, when he began his ministry, he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So we're gonna talk about what the gospel of the kingdom is and what it means for us as a church family. The gospel is the centerpiece of who we are as a church. It has reconciled us, it's through the work of Christ in the gospel that we're reconciled to God. But the gospel of the kingdom also sets the tone and the agenda for us as a church. And so we wanna just kind of continue to center ourselves On that good news of what Christ came to accomplish, not just in reconciling us to God, but bringing renewal and restoration to the whole world and how we're called to participate in it. And so uh, that'll be kind of uh, an exciting series that will lead us back into the Gospel of Matthew in mid-February. Before we dive into this particular sermon uh, in James chapter 1, we need to pray. As we walk into a new year, just attentiveness to the Holy Spirit in anticipation of what he might want to do in us, not just kind of around us or in the world, but what might he want to do in us, uh, is something that I'm trying to kind of hang on to as we walk through the different twists and turns of another year. um, God is with us, and like we just read, uh, he is committed to completing the work he's began in us. And so whether you're new to Christianity, exploring Christianity, or you've been following Jesus for a long time, we believe the Holy Spirit is active and present today. He actually wants to work in us this morning. So let's open our hearts to his work among us. Father, we thank you for sending your son into this world. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world to bring life, to reconcile us to God through the death, your death on the cross for us and rising again to give us new life. And spirit, we thank you for coming to dwell among us, that we're not alone in this world, Uh, We're not children without a father. We're not people without a helper. Uh, We're not navigating the, the challenges of this world without a comforter, that you are with us and you're with us right now. And so would you, Holy Spirit, right now today, would you tend to us? Would you care for us? Would you prune us and grow us and cultivate within us the evidence of your presence with us? that we as a people be filled up with love and joy and peace and all the beautiful fruit of your work among us. I pray that we would thrive as a people, that we would flourish as a people, and the evidence of your presence would just radiate from us that we could actually bear your image like we were designed to do as human beings, to be the image bearers of God in this world. And so we pray you do it in powerful, transformative ways in stunning ways, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Every year, uh, I tend to take some time at the end of the year and kind of reflect a little bit on the year behind and then prepare for the year ahead. And I remember very vividly last year kind of taking a day, To just reflect and prepare, I had been recently uh, kind of turned on to Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner by Neil Long. Uh, Neil's one of our staff members. If you know Neil, he's passionate about Jesus. He loves his family. He loves the church. And he loves Michael Hyatt's Full Focus Planner. It's like he's an evangelist for it. I can't think of how many people are part of like Neil's. If he had like a, if it was a pyramid marketing scheme, he'd be making bank right now on the Full Focus Planner, but uh, the Full Focus Planner is a planner that's designed to help you kind of prioritize the things that matter most to you. And so it kind of helps you think through your biggest goals, your biggest life goals, and boil them down to maybe yearly goals, the things you wanna prioritize in the year ahead, and it helps you kind of think through how to organize your quarters of the year, how to organize your month, your week, and even your days and your moments around the pursuit of the things that matter the most. And I I tend to kind of like function like that anyways. It really resonates with my personality type, Enneagram 3. So like give me a plan to achieve and I'm going to go for it. So I remember like this kind of like full day of planning and processing. And you work on your, your goals. You've got kind of like goals in my relationship with God, things I just feel like he's doing in my life. And I got goals for my marriage and things I want to grow in as a father and financial and like house projects and work stuff that are kind of making its way in. Then you kind of sort through these and you create some like tasks along the way. You have an ideal week where you're scheduling kind of like your ideal w- workflow in a week, like what you're going to try to tend to do on normal weeks. Even has a whole area for like daily rituals, like what do you do when you wake up in the morning and when you kind of enter your work day, what do you do when you're shutting down your work day and kind of closing off the day itself and and I love that stuff. I'm like kind of organize it all and I'm not like rigid and kind of obedience to those things, but they give me a kind of basic guide to how things are gonna go. And I kind of sat there thinking, man, if I like do this, it's gonna be a great year. 2020 is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna make all this progress on all these things that I care about. And, uh, and then as happened for you and for the whole world, uh, COVID happens and, uh, and everything about my journal felt like massively disrupted. Everything about this planner, it's like the daily rhythms got totally upended because our family rhythms changed, kids' school situation changed, just everything you had planned was different, the sort of like weekly routine of coming to work and doing these things was different. We were working from home and remotely. Y'all know this stuff. So many things are just disrupted. And, and I look back at the year and like, there are some of the things that I wanted to focus on that I felt like, yeah, I think we grew in those areas or some stuff happened here, but largely it felt like just a total waste. I look at it, I'm like, well that's, that's not what happened this year. And what, what did happen in 2020? Uh, what did happen because it wasn 't what I planned, uh, like the kind of ancient biblical proverb, "A man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps." so I made a plan, and the lord 's like, "Nope, you know, and like turned the corner, did a different thing, but what did he do what What was he doing in two thousand and twenty i don 't know for me there' was a lot of different things I think he was doing last year, and I imagine for you, some of them would be similar, and some of them would be different but I, but i bring us back to last year to kind of bring us forward now to this moment and say, as you look towards another year, what might God want to do in you? We can plan the year. You can say, here's where I want to grow. Here's the things I want to change. Here's the kind of path I want my career. Here's what I want to happen with my family. Here's what I want to happen with my friendship. Or as I get, I want to get plugged into a new church family. Maybe there's people joining us because they're like, this year I should get back into church or whatever it is. And, And here's the things I want to happen, right? And so, Those may or may not happen. The bigger question I've been asking this year is, what might God want to do within me? Not around me, not in the circumstances or the progress or the kind of life, the kind of stage type things, but what what might he want to do within me? And the kind of bigger question is, how does he tend to do that work? The assurance of pardon that we read is, he who began a good work in you, will be faithful to bring it to completion. In other words, he's doing a work inside of you and he's committed to maturing and completing that work of actually growing us as human beings. And his agenda for us isn't often one-to-one and almost never, frankly, one-to-one with our agenda for our own lives. And so when a year like 2020 happens and it disrupts our agenda, it does not disrupt his agenda. In fact, it's often through the challenges and difficulties and the disruptions and the setbacks and the painful moments that God is doing meaningful, deep work that is for your joy. It's for your joy. So resituate, resettle, reorient where you find joy and life from. And this year, 2021, apart from all the other things it will be, it will be a year where God is working for your joy. That's what we're actually seeing in James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4 at the heart of the sermon is this that the challenges that you encounter in the coming year are pathways to your maturity and your joy. The challenges James is specifically going to talk about the challenges the, challenge you, the challenges you will face in the coming year are pathways. They're opportunities for your maturity and for your joy. I'm not, I don't tend to be a very like Pollyannish person, like a look on the bright side, like peppy, like everything's gonna be awesome. Like I, I tend to be maybe on the kind of like balance, maybe on the sort of, I like realism, cynical, kind of like, just like life's hard. I feel like a huge piece of my pastoral ministry of this church is like, if life's not hard yet, it's about to be, prepare yourself, Jesus is better. I feel like that's like a theme of my sermons for the past like several years is like, life sucks a lot, Jesus is good. If you don't experience it yet, just wait, you know, welcome to Park Church. Uh, just preparing us for some of the difficulties. And I think there's something important in that, not to be negative, but to actually find in the challenges, God working for your joy. A deeper, purer, more solid, anchored joy. That you, whatever this year brings, can end this year with increased maturity and joy. How does God do that? Often He does it through challenges. And so what I want to do this morning is I want us to walk through James chapter one and just see exactly how he does that and why we can kind of walk into the year ahead, not with this kind of like eyes closed, kind of like naive kind of hopefulness that the year is gonna go smoothly and everything will be awesome and way better than 2020 but with a kind of biblical worldview that even when the challenges come, there's the opportunity to see them as God working for our joy. And so uh, look with me at James chapter two. Every word, this, this passage, you should memorize it, you should meditate on it, you should like think about it every day. It is pregnant with, like, powerful theological truths. Every word in this passage matters. And so what we're going to do is kind of, like, work through it, like, piece by piece and see God working and how that might reorient the way we approach and walk into uh, the journey before us in 2021. Uh, so look with me, starting in verse 2. James says, "Kind of all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. When you meet, we're going to come back to the counter all joy, but he's talking about when you meet trials of various kinds. So the first thing I want us to pay attention to is this. Don't be surprised when you encounter trials in the coming year. You don't need to be surprised about it. Um, James is speaking to a group of people, you can look at this in the first verse, who are scattered through something called the diaspora, or they've been a part of the dispersion. And so James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was, kind of grew up around Jesus. He followed Jesus, had trusted in him as Lord and Savior, which is bizarre to think about. You're kind of like your your brother, a quasi-brother, who's like the Lord of the universe. And he believed that. And he trusted in that, which is a stunning testament to Jesus being who he says he was. Like, if your brother or sister was like, I'm the Messiah, you'd be like, eh, nope. (laughs) You know, like, uh, definitely not. Uh, James is like, yes, yes, he is. He is. And James became a leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And in that early church, massive suffering came, religious persecution to early followers of Jesus and to the people of God more broadly through the Romans and other uh, challenges. And they got dispersed through what's called the diaspora and they were scattered abroad. The people of God had been scattered abroad to different places. And so the people of God had been left there homes left their workplaces left their relationships and were kind of in a very disrupted experience in life they're finding a new place to live trying to find new ways to make ends meet they're trying to reestablish new relationships in a new community or a new context and so they had a life kind of status quo and through the diaspora through this persecution everything got disrupted Does that sound vaguely familiar again what we've experienced in the past year is nothing compared to the persecution that they faced in the kind of like early uh, of the first century AD, but it's disruption that brought trials of different kinds. And what James is saying is when you encounter these trials, when you kind of like stumble upon them, not if you do, not like if it happens that something difficult comes across your path, it's saying as you walk through your journey of life, you will come upon trials, challenges, difficulties of different kinds. It's uh, like Peter said, and this is in First Peter chapter 4. He says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. It's like the New Testament is full of people saying, don't be like surprised when life is hard. Life east of Eden is hard. When humanity said no to the reign of God, when we said no to the presence of God, when we said we're going to do this our own way, find our own path to joy, Life became embedded with what the Bible calls a curse. In other words, challenges and difficulties, thorns and thistles that plague our emotional health, our relational life, our ability to kind of like establish family and community and friendships and societies and cities. All of it is polluted with challenges. And so what Peter says, and then James says here, is like, when you come upon them, don't be like, what? Life is supposed to be smooth. It's not. Life east of Eden in this age is full of challenges. And we live in a society where remarkably, like there are so many opportunities and there are so many like incredible things that happen in our society and there are so many comforts and ways to entertain ourselves and ways to comfort ourselves and ways to kind of like, build and kind of like upgrade our our life and our experience. There are pleasures abounding. There's so many things to kind of chase after you, give you these like experiences of happiness. And there's so many ways to mitigate and minimize the pain that we feel, or at least to numb ourselves or distract ourselves from some of the pain we feel, that we can begin to think that life ought to be smooth. And the New Testament writers are saying, no, it's not. It's not. Maybe there are times where that's that's the case, but those might be an exception to the rule, not the rule. In fact, life is full always of challenges. It is, and so you don't have to be, be surprised. So if you thought, I, I got out of 2020, you know, I saw all these memes about like, you know, how we skipped into 2020, and then like just struggled our way like across the finish line, like, you know, gasping for breath, like this painful experience of getting out of 2020. It's like, oh, we're out of it, as if it's this like magical portal to like Bliss and happiness, this like euphoric year that we're all going to experience together. It's like that's not real. Twenty twenty one. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. We'll have hard things. Happy New Year. You know, welcome to Park Church. Uh, It will. It just will. And when we shepherd our expectations, and we're not shocked or like, what? What's happening? This must. This is strange. It's not the way it's supposed to be. James, Peter, Paul, Jesus himself, in this world you will have trials, you will have tribulations, you will have challenges. But those aren't designed to crush you. They're not designed to crush you. And they come in different forms, right? Like there's the kind of like, the, the challenges that I'm hearing everybody kind of talking about right now, if you have grade school kids, you know, is your, is your school gonna be starting virtual or are they starting in person or what's that gonna be like? And there's still like, that challenge from this past fall will persist into this spring. There are still relational challenges. We're still not able to gather everybody here in the building together. Your small group, can't gather in the same ways. There are difficulties in doing the things you enjoy in the city or the travel or the family or the things you want. There are relationships and friendships with close friends or family members that this past year were like severely fractured. you still feel that. It's not like all better magically when the calendar changed pages. Like the challenges are still real. And then there's like kind of like the the normal life stuff. Like I remember after Christmas on Christmas morning, we like eat all this food and we're feasting all day. And then we're going to do the dishes the next day. And the next day, the dishwasher or like eight month old dishwasher doesn't work. And I'm like, no, why of all things, you know, the dishwasher. And it like shouldn't be a big deal. But it felt like another thing on top of all the things that are like, ah, you know, like there are little things, and then there are massive things. There are massive things. There are people in our church community that have lost loved ones this past year. Maybe you have. Uh, There are diagnoses that people have got. There, again, are fractured relationships and friendships. There are real setbacks and disappointments around meaningful things that weigh on you. And what James says here is he doesn't just talk about the trials of, of the Diaspora. He talks about trials of various kinds, all these different kinds of trials, the normal life stuff, the COVID stuff, the traumatic stuff, the sort of life stage stuff, the stuff that teenagers face are different than the things that young adults are facing and navigating in this season. The things that young families are are kind of like working through with new babies or kids in grade school are different than people in midlife are facing as you're kind of like kids are growing up and life's changing and your kind of careers, things are settling down. It's different trials. People that are empty nesters are facing different trials as they navigate new dynamics in their relationship with their children or changing in their employments. Say so they approach retirement, or at the end of life, as your body or your mind begins to fade. These are all different kinds of life stage challenges that, that are different for different ones of us. And James is saying, whether it's a life stage challenge, a situational thing, a minor thing, or a major thing, you don't need to be surprised when these things happen. These are a part of life. They're part of the journey. So as you're walking through life, when you encounter them, he doesn't say like, uh, like if you're looking out for them. It's like you're going to stumble upon them. You're going to take a left turn. You're going to go into next week, and you're going to have a plan for your week, and you know what you kind of wanted to do and what you're going to accomplish, and something's going something's to happen. You're going to stumble upon a challenge, and that will happen throughout the year. And when you do, you don't need to be surprised. You can actually be prepared for them, and if you're prepared for them, you can actually Begin to understand some of the work that God tends to do in those trials and prepare yourself for something that can be produced or worked within you internally as you navigate through the twists and turns of another year. So I want us to see the second thing. Uh, look at what James says in the passage. He doesn't say when you do this. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Family, he's saying, family, when these things come upon you, when you stumble upon them, it does not have to destroy you. It doesn't have to deflate you. You can actually consider it joy. Now a couple of things he's not saying. He's not saying kind of deny the emotions of sadness or sorrow. The, the call to count it joy, consider it to be joy, isn't saying suppress sad or painful emotions or grief of any kind. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about joy, it can kind of talk about joy as coexisting with sorrow. So like Paul will say, sorrowful, but always rejoicing. Like there are things that Paul and other New Testament people faced that were grievous, that were painful, that were dark and challenging and devastating in different ways, but it didn't drive them to despair. They actually held on to a hope that transcended the situational experience and even transcended the kind of momentary emotions that were very real and healthy to feel. So I feel like I've been trying to learn a lot over the last several years of how do you like, maintain faith in Christ? How do you believe that all things work together for good for those who are called by God to according to his purpose? How, how do you like, hold on to those truths and be emotionally honest about disappointments, grieve things, walk through things, express the sorrow? Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows who was well acquainted with grief. like He knew sorrow, and yet he's the most joyful human being who ever lived. So it's not saying deny sad emotions or disappointment or grief. And it's not saying that trials are good. It's not saying that, like, painful things are good. In fact, some trials are devastating. Some are wicked. Some are caused by evil in the world that is not good. It's the opposite of good. And yet what, what James is saying is that what can be produced within you in those trials can be beautiful and powerful, such that in comparison to the trial itself, it could be kind of accounted as good. If you're chalking it up in the columns, and you're saying there is pain, and some of the pain, like we said, is devastating pain. But if you're attentive to what God might be doing in you, you can actually kind of talk about the experience of challenges and painful things as a kind of net positive in what God is producing within you as he reorients our joy and our source of life and maturity and hope in the things that actually give life. And that's what he says here in the passage. Look at what it says in verse two or verse three. He says, for you know, here's how it happens. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Here's why it's joy. It's not like, well, look on the bright side. It's not look on the bright side joy. It's saying, this is a painful thing. It's like a furnace that's burning me, and it hurts, and it's testing, like, a, like testing a metal. And what a furnace does, it reveals what the metal's made of, and it refines and burns away the impurities. And that's what the trials are doing to our faith. In fact, the only other place where this word tested is used when it says, know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, is in First Peter uh, chapter 1 where Peter is talking about the people of God putting their hope in a future day when Christ comes again and makes all things new. This is this ultimate salvation of the world, all things restored, all things beautiful, God with us, us fully integrated as human beings, whole, healthy, full of love for God, full of love for one another, harmony in our relationships, harmony in the world. That's this future day. And Paul says, or Peter says in chapter one, you hope in that future day. Though now... Back here in today, if necessary for a little while, you are being grieved by various, same word, trials, challenges. It says this, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes when it's tested by fire, would we'll be found to result or produce, would produce within us praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so here's what Peter's saying that help us make sense of this. There is a future day where all things are new, all things are beautiful, all things are the way they're supposed to be. And we hope in that day. and we believe in that day, and the hope in that day helps us today when we walk through the fire of today, or the fires that will come in 2021 to actually receive them as things that are burning away the impurities of our faith, that are reorienting the ways that we look to find life and joy and peace and love and hope as we continue in this life as human beings, all of us doing this, navigating, running down this path for joy. If I just get this in my career, if I just get to this stage in my family, if I just get to this thing in my relationships, if I just get to this, and we kind of like have all these things that if we're honest, we're looking to for joy. And when challenges come and those things get disrupted or they don't go the way we wanted them to or obstacles to our agenda get placed there, the obstacles don't have to be obstacles to your joy. In fact, they might be the pathway to your joy, a deeper, more solid joy. And that's this second point in the passage, that the trials are not obstacles in your pursuit of joy. They're pathways, to deeper maturity and joy. Deeper maturity and joy. We tend to equate joy with our circumstances. And when the difficulties come, the challenges, the trials come, they often will disrupt our agenda. And they'll disrupt these kind of faulty, phony paths to joy that wouldn't ultimately work anyways. And they do something to to kind of develop within us a deeper joy. The word here for consider all joy is this word for like pure or solid, like the same kind of word that would be used to talk about a metal, an unadulterated, unalloyed metal. Not like, you know, part gold, part something else, like pure gold, like pure, solid joy. This really beautiful, anchored joy. And so when the trials come, they will disrupt things that will feel unpleasant, to be sure. It's not gonna be all fun. It might not feel like what you wanted. You can grieve those things and you can grieve the losses. But they will do something. They can. If you receive it and if you're trained by it, if you let it, they can do something to deepen our sense of joy in Christ and his wisdom for life in the coming year. And that's what it says. It says, the testing of your faith produces or cultivates within you steadfastness. Uh, The word steadfastness is another like significant words, this idea of like the ability to remain under a weight. So it's this perseverance, this resilience, the ability to like carry something heavy. And so when your faith or when your joy or when your life goes through trials, what it's producing within you is like that weight that knocked you over. It's like like exercise. It's like strengthening your posture. I think often when I think about this passage, I think about like gusts of wind that kind of like knock you over if you're not prepared for it you're like, oh, that was a big gust of wind. So you like broaden your stance a little bit, kind of like get in a different position, like re-kind of orient your center of gravity. And that same wind that knocked you over doesn't have to knock you over anymore. In other words, there are things that God cultivated within you in 2020 that will give you a stronger, more resilient faith in 2021. There are things that God was doing. Sometimes you see it, sometimes you spot it, sometimes you don't. You might feel like 2020 was just devastating in every way, but there are still things, if you can receive it, that can mature you as a person, that can actually build up within you a more mature, more resilient, not just faith, but a more resilient joy. That your joy can be less attached to your circumstances and all the things that you tend to run after. And so what if at the end of 2021, you were more joyful as a human being? More joyful. Not because everything went the way you planned, but because God matured you. He brought in you a more resilient, deeper, more anchored sense of joy that was less attached to your circumstances or the things you could accomplish or accumulate in the year to come. Uh, I I think often in a church that has, you know... um, people in different age demographics. When you look at people who have walked through more life, often but not always, there's a maturity. Just, they're just more seasoned, like more stable and challenging times. Not always. Not always you can kind of push away from kind of the, the pains of life and not learn from them. But typically, if you've held on to Jesus and walked through a fair bit of life, like there's just a maturity that people have. And you, you can't get that without years. You can't get that without life experience. So I think for a church that has a lot of young people in their 20s and 30s, a year like 2020 or the things we're gonna be walking into even in this next couple months as a society don't have to be like the worst year of your life. You actually have an incredible opportunity. If you're willing to let these things train you, you have an opportunity as a, as a young adult in our congregation to let the pain and the challenges and the very unique once-in-a-lifetime type kind of like disruptions just give you deeper maturity. But if you close your eyes and grin and bear it and can't wait till the law passes and get everything back to normal, which I want that, I want it all to pass. I want the vaccine. I want want those things to happen. But if you're like, just shut your eyes and just like get through it versus like, God, what do you want to do in me? You have the opportunity to let these challenges shape you in ways that will change the contour of your life, that will make you a more joyful, more mature, healthier human being for the rest of your life can be beautiful if you will receive it. Which is what this next verse says in verse 4. It says, and let steadfastness, let this resilience that's growing through trials, let it have its full effect. Like let it complete the work that it's doing. Don't dodge it. Don't try to get out of it. Don't push away from it. Don't try to escape it. Numb yourself, distract yourself just to get through. Let it do its work. Let the trials and the challenges do the work to have its full effect. Receive everything you can. Learn everything you can. Grow in every way you can through the trial so that you may be perfect. And the word there is mature and complete or whole. Lacking nothing. In other words, there's things that you don't yet know in life. There are immaturities and incompletions and things that aren't healthy about you and aren't whole and aren't integrated and and connected. That there are things that need to grow up within you. And God is going to complete the work that He started. And part of the way He does that is through the challenges. But you have to let it, you have to be trained by it. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, um, after Chapter 11 is just a stunning passage about all these men and women of God who had gone before, who had stayed faithful to God in the midst of beautiful victories and incredible tragedies and pain and difficulties. And then he's looking, the author of Hebrews, at this community and saying, God continues to work for your joy, but he also does it as a father who brings discipline. And the word for discipline in Hebrews chapter 12, you can actually flip, it's probably one page back in your Bible from James chapter 1. The the word for discipline is this training. It's not punitive. It's not, you did this wrong thing and now I'm gonna discipline you. There might be some of that sometimes, but often it's God as a father growing you, maturing you, developing you, guiding you as a good father, and often it's through challenging things. And so here's what he says, the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12. I want you to listen to this. He says, it's for discipline that you have to endure. Again, this idea of endure to stay steadfast because God is treating you as children. For what child is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. In other words, if there's a parent who's like, I don't care what my child grows up to be, that's not a good parent. That's not what parenting's supposed to be. Parents do care, and because they care, they're willing to say no to things, to help our kids taste consequences for certain actions that are disruptive or destructive. Like, good parents do those things. So he says, besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Listen to this, verse 11 of chapter 12. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Painful painful things in the past year and there will be painful things in the year to come. They will not feel pleasant. You don't have to pretend that they're pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In other words, if you will let it train you and grow you and mature you as a human, you can have a, a kind of a harvest Of righteousness. In other words, a healthy relationship with God, a healthy relationship with one another, like this love of God and a love for people, this righteousness, this rightness about who you are and who you're designed to be, if you will let the challenges train you, mature you, grow you, develop you. And when that happens, there is something that's happening within you that is joy solid, stable, mature, immovable joy. And these are the things God wants to do within you. And he's committed to it. How do we know he's committed to it? Because the way he began the good work in you is Christmas. Jesus came into this life. He came into this world to meet us in our sorrow, to meet us in our hardship. Like I said, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He walked through the trials. He walked through the difficulty. He held fast to the faithfulness of God. He relied on the power of the Spirit. He maintained faithful and full of love to other people and yet he laid down his life on the cross taking upon himself all the sorrow of the world, all the grief of the world, all the sin of the world and he did it Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him. He endured the pain. Because he's committed to you. He's committed to making all things new. He's committed to making the world right. He's going to do it. He's committed to it. The question is, this year, will you pay attention to the presence of Jesus? Will you walk with him day by day, trusting that even in the hardships, even when the life takes a turn that you didn't expect or takes kind of a challenge that was, daunting and overwhelming or maybe even just devastating, that there Jesus is, the one who walked before you, leading you to deeper, more stable, more solid joy. And if you can open up your heart to that, then the fruit of righteousness that would come from you and from our community in the middle of a year with all the challenges that it may bring can be really beautiful and actually can help people see the glory of God who has his unshakable love and his unshakable kingdom. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come right now, uh, we need you. We need your spirit to work among us. We need you to increase our faith, increase our joy, increase our resilience and our maturity as your people. So I pray you do beautiful work in us uh, today but also throughout this year. I pray you'd help us not to despise the challenges even when they're unpleasant or painful but that we'd be trained and that you grow within us a beautiful fruit of your spirit. We pray in Christ's name, amen.